Last year wasn't too bad. This year started out on a bumpy road. I'm gonna need a lot more than street smarts to crack these cases. These New Year mysteries. Everything seems smooth. No red flags. No flashing lights. Then everything went topsy-turvy. From a walk in the park to the murder of a marriage. Who killed the romance? How is everybody this morning? Wow, you're fire. It's a beautiful day, at least here at our South Florida campus. You know, I, I, my grandma, when I was little, she always had cups that looked like this. It makes me feel important. All right? You guys had your coffee, so I get, get mine. <coughs> It is good to see. I'm excited about this series. Um, you know, mysteries. How many of you like mysteries? Anybody? You like Agatha Christie type mysteries? Anybody read those? Or uh, I've been watching a lot of the uh, shows that come on the BBC, and it's interesting because the mysteries. Uh, a lot of them are takeoffs on Agatha Christie, and they're not like action. You know, they're not like car chases and of course it's in Europe and England so they don't they don't have guns and so there's no gun stuff happening it's really all about who did what when they did it how they did it and uh, it, it's com complex it's one of those it's, it's several of those shows it, they are if you're not paying attention you can't watch it it's kind of like old school some of you if you're old school there was a show called Perry Mason and Perry Mason was the same way is it had all these people and places, maybe in the 1980s we had Columbo, you know, he never pulled a gun on anybody, he never got in a car chase, he just tried to figure it out. Well, that's what we want to do for the next several weeks, we just want to figure it out. We want to solve some of these mysteries that all of us deal with in our lives, maybe in our families, and hopefully discover some answers along the way. Now, if you want to pull out that outline that you got when you came in, the first mystery that I want us to uh, spend some time on is the um, murder of our marriages. It's the fact that there are these uh, killings that are happening when it comes to romance. Now, I went to Webster and I got me a definition for murder. And I, I think I put it in your outline. Murder is unlawfully killing a person, especially with malice and a forethought. Now, for our conversation, we're not just going to talk about the killing of a person, but we're going to talk about the killing of a relationship between a man and a woman. Now, primarily, we're going to talk about it in the context of marriage, but the suspects we're going to look at have been accused of also killing relationships between friends, between people who are dating, working relationships. So really, no matter what season of life you're in, 
um, these suspects actually play a role. But we're going to look primarily at the marriage homicide right. And when I say, you know, killing or murdering our marriages, I don't mean that the man is killing the woman or the woman killing the man. What I mean is, is that the marriage is dying. In other words, it's there no longer. That relationship is, is dead. And I don't believe it's suicide. I don't believe that people say, I do, walk into a relationship and then intentionally kill or murder that relationship. I, I, I don't think it's suicide. I think it's criminal. I, I, I think there's an outside agent. Now, uh, here's the law. Because when you think about murder, it is the unlawful. So there must be a law when it comes to our marriage, marriages. Mark chapter 10. It says, but in the beginning, at the time of creation, God made them man and, uh, man and male and female, as the scripture says. And for this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother and unites with his wife. And the two will become one. So they're no longer two, but one. Now here's the law. No human being must separate then what God has joined together. So this is kind of like a relationally thou shalt not kill. He says, do not tear apart. Do not murder what God has put together. Here's the way I, I wrote it in my journal. But should there come a time when the commitment of marriage no longer exists and that which is one now becomes two, relational murder has been committed. When that which was one now becomes two. And here's the reality is the murder rate for our marriages is quite alarming. I, I think I put the stats in your outline there. Is that it's 50% for the first marriage. Is that 50% of our marriages are being murdered. And um, that's alarming when you think about it. Now, if you happen to go into a second marriage, it, be, it goes to 67% of those marriages end in homicide. In, if you try the third time, it's 73%. Only one out of four actually survive. Three out of four are killed. So, I mean, that's reality. Now, my goal is not to talk about the dangers of divorce or the impact of divorce, but the reality of it. Marriages are being murdered. There are outside agents who are entering into our homes, and they are killing that which you and I care about. Here's kind of my thesis for our investigation. Many marriages are the victim of homicide as the result, or here's why it happens, or how it happens, as the, the result of romance, and here's my definition of romance. It's the chemistry between the man and the woman, between the two people that soul connection, that sense of we ought to be together, that spark, that look in the eyes. If you read Genesis, when Adam saw Eve, he went, whoa, baby, okay? That's what I'm talking about, that kind of chemistry. So many marriages are the victim of homicide, the result of romance being targeted by the enemy. And so we do have an enemy, the scripture teaches, who wants to destroy or murder our marriages by killing our romance. Now they tell me that when investigators show up at a crime scene and a murder has happened, 
that as they're investigating, they create a murder book, which has all the information that they gather during the investigation. So we want to start one. As we try to figure out who it is that kills the romance, and in doing so, ends up murdering at least half of our marriages. So the first thing we have to do is, well, who are the suspects? Who could this be? Who are the suspects? Who are the possibilities that are murdering our marriages? And I'm going to give you four, okay? The first one is selfishness. The first suspect is selfishness. And here's what I mean by selfishness. To think me first. To think me first. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of information. I'm going to give it to you really quick so that we can get to the answer. So kind of listen quickly with me. Now, if you were to go into a, a police department and say, I saw someone murder someone else, they would ask you to give them a description. They would say, the person you saw, were they tall, were they short, did they have curly hair, straight hair? You know, was it a man, was it a woman? Well, I want to give you a description of this suspect's selfishness. This suspect has the attitude, I have my life and they have theirs. They say, I do but they truly never become one. They come together occasionally, but they're going in opposite directions. Kind of, you live your life, I'll live my life, and, you know, that'll make us happy when we do get together. So they have different, and let me just list. Here's the description. Here's what selfishness looks like. They have different social calendar, a different bank account. They have different careers, different recreation different friends and different dreams. Now, I'm not saying that all those things are bad. It is two becoming one. But let me look at what they communicate. When you and your spouse have a different social calendar, what are you really saying? That, well, that you have different values. If you valued the same thing, then you would be at the same events. But the reality is, is that you have some values that lead you in this direction and your spouse has some other values that lead them in the other direction. And so rather than communicate, work, walk through those things, you just kind of go <clears throat> in your opposite directions. Well, the other thing I said was uh, selfishness has separate bank account. And, and what is that communicating? Basically, I don't trust you, right? I mean, I work hard for my money and so I'm gonna put my money here and I know you work hard for yours, you put your money there, you pay these bills, I'll pay these bills, and in the end, everything will be paid for. But we won't have to argue. You got your money, I got mine. We won't have to deal. And basically what we're saying to one another is, I, I don't trust you. I, don't, I either don't trust that how you'll spend the money, or I don't trust that you're going to take some of the money in case it doesn't work out. So let's just keep it separate, at least in the beginning. Um, separate careers. Now, I'm not saying, right, the scripture doesn't tell us that both of you are supposed to work at Walmart. But what I am saying is that our careers, our vocations are those things that utilize our gifts and our talents to take us somewhere. And when you say, I do, then there ought to be, right, this sense of communication that wherever it is we're going, it's our vocation that's taking both of us in this direction. We're going to end up there. Now, you have this vocation and I have this vocation, but the closer we get to there, the closer we get to one another. But if you're going in opposite directions, your careers 
Success in your career. Well, let me just ask you, would success in your career take you closer to your husband or further away? If both of you were to succeed in your careers, would you be closer or further apart? I mean, those are real questions because selfishness is the suspect that says, I, I got to pursue my career. I know that we came together and we committed to be one and true joy and true peace and true love is only discovered in that oneness. But selfishness comes in to our home. It's like, I got to go after my career. It, 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 not our careers. Recreation, what does that say? Well, it's different joy and happiness. I enjoy this, so I recreate or I rest this way. You enjoy that. Different friends. What is, again, I'm not saying that you have to have all the same friends. What I'm saying is that when you have different friends, you have different what? Influences. Because friends are influence. They basically are communicating. They're, they impact what we think. They impact how we think. They impact what we know, what we've seen, all those things. And so when there's two different camps of friends that never cross, it's two different influences that are coming into the home that, if not communicated and talked about and, and worked through, can cause murder, cause death. And then dreams, two different dreams. Well, that's two different outcomes. See, when I you say, if you were to be successful, you have a picture in your mind when I say that, don't you? I don't know what your picture is. Maybe it's owning your own business. Maybe it's two and a half kids and a minivan, you know? I, I, I don't know, you know, maybe it's hitting a home run in the World Series. I, I don't know, but you have a picture in your mind when I say the word success. Well, if you accomplished it, whatever that picture is in your mind, whatever it is that you dream about, if you were to accomplish that and your spouse were to accomplish theirs, would you be closer to one another or further apart? That's an important question because that's how selfishness sneaks into our homes and then, I believe, kills our marriages. That, that, that's why there are, in the, in the last two decades, the divorce rate for those 50 and older has gone up by 20% because all of a sudden the kids are gone and we're like, oh my goodness, we've been going in two different directions. And I just need to go, I need to do what's going to make me happy and you go do what makes you happy. And um, that's the death of a marriage. Here, here's, here's the second suspect, unhealthy communication. And here's what I mean by this, the inability to connect. Here's what this suspect looks like. Unhealthy communication. It's an unwillingness to listen. And when I say listen, here's what I mean. Not just hear the words, but understand the heart. Why are they saying what they're saying? Where is what they're saying coming from? Unhealthy communication never takes the time and can't answer that. Now, unhealthy communication, when it does speak, it speaks unkind words speaks angry words. What they say, now they may apologize for it, I didn't mean that, I'm sorry, I got a headache. But, but, but they're unkind. And sometimes it's not the words that they speak. Sometimes it's the tone. Have you ever said something, but the way in which you said it communicated something different from what you said? 
Or let me ask you this, how many have ever had somebody roll their eyes at you? Right? When somebody rolls your eyes at you, do you think, man, they really respect me? <laughs> no, right? You're like, man. Right? Well, well, that's what unhealthy communication does. It rolls its eyes. It uses uh, angry tones, use hurtful words, and it doesn't listen. It thinks it already knows. So it doesn't have, doesn't have to listen. Let's look at the next suspect, lust. Lust is a consuming hunger. Well, what does this um, suspect look like? Well, lust, look, it has a, a focus on personal fulfillment. Lust is about your pleasure. It's about your fulfillment. Its focus is on me. Let, I, I looked it up. Let me give you some synonyms for lust. It means to crave, to covet, to want, to yearn. And because love, um, lust, because love focuses only upon itself, it often uses people. Lust doesn't think about how my pleasure being fulfilled affects you. It only thinks about my pleasure being fulfilled. It not only uses people, but it will even abuse people. Lust often gives birth to adultery, pornography. And when the suspect of lust really gets ugly, it can end up in rape, prostitution, and even human trafficking. Now let me show you the last suspect, emotional negligence. This is the absence of self-awareness. And what does this suspect look like? Well, first of all, it gives no acknowledgement of feelings. When you ask this suspect, and maybe you know somebody in your life like this, where they're like, well, well uh, how do you feel about that? Ah. You know anybody that everything is okay? Do you like the movie? It's okay. Do you like the restaurant? It's okay. What do you think about that person? They're okay. Right? I mean, they never have any feelings. That's the way that this suspect looks. It's an unwillingness to admit that they've ever been hurt. You watch somebody go off on them and you're like, man, I mean, they'll never admit that they're hurt. You watch the doctor give them bad news and they'll still not admit any, because they see it as weakness or fear. You can think of it like this. This suspect has an inability to honestly evaluate themselves. An inability to honestly evaluate themselves. And what I mean by that is to look in the mirror and honestly evaluate the person that you see. What your strengths are, but what your weaknesses are. What you do well, but what you don't do well. The people that you have encouraged, but also the reality of the people that you have hurt. Honest evaluation. I think those are the four suspects. Now, before we can convict the suspects, we have to have what? We have to have evidence, right? You can't just suspect that someone's guilty. You have to prove that they are guilty. So what I want us to do now, real quickly, before we get to the answer, is to discover, is there any evidence? Is there any reason for us to believe that these four suspects, selfishness, unhealthy communication, lust, emotional negligence, really have the firepower to murder your marriage, to kill the romance in your relationships? Well, let's look at the evidence according to the scripture. Selfishness, remember, it's to think me first. Well, what does the scripture say? 
James chapter 3, verse 16. Any place where you find jealousy and selfish ambition, you will discover, what's the next two words? Chaos and evil. Now let me ask you a question. Are chaos and evil conducive to a happy marriage? No. So the moment you and I allow this criminal of selfishness to enter our home, it produces, according to Scripture, chaos and evil. And inside of those conditions, marriages die. So I believe there is evidence for the reality that selfishness is guilty of murder. Let's look at the second suspect, unhealthy communication, the inability to connect. Look what it says in Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make what? Well, make what? Yeah, tempers flare. Now, again, let me ask you. Have you ever walked, maybe you live in a, an apartment or condo or something, and you walk by and you hear the man and the woman on the other side of a door yelling at one another? Or maybe you go into Target and you walk by a car and you see them fighting inside the car, just yelling at one another. Do you ever see one of those couples and think, you know what, I hope to have that one day. That's, that's what I want. I wish, oh, man. No, no. Why? Because tempers expressed in that way are not conducive to a good marriage. According to Scripture, they are actually destructive. Let's look at the third suspect. Is there any evidence? Lust, that consuming hunger. Look what it says in Romans 8, 6. A mind focused on the flesh is doomed. And focusing on the flesh, focusing on the skin, that is lust, right? That is that hunger, that is that craving, is doomed to what? Death. So is death conducive to a great marriage? No, of course not. Look what the scripture says in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us, only us. We have no one to blame, but the leering, seducing, flare-up of our own, there's that word, lust. Lust gets pregnant, gives birth to sin. Sin grows into adulthood and becomes what? A real killer. So scripture is clear. This suspect called lust has murder on its hands. Lust has murdered many marriages, killed thousands of romances. Last suspect, emotional negligence, the absence of self-awareness. Any evidence that it is a murderer? Well, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. When you're angry, don't let it carry you into sin. Don't let the sun set with anger in your heart. Now, I'd underline, don't let the sun set with anger in your heart. What does that mean? Well, the only reason that you'd go to bed at night without dealing with this tension in the air, this anger in the air, is because you are either ignoring it or you're just oblivious to it. You just, you know, uh, don't want to deal with it. You are unaware of the consequences of not dealing with this tension, this anger in the air. Why? Look what it says, verse 27, because it gives the mafia boss, gives the devil what? Room to work. I mean, is that conducive to a good marriage? Is to allow the mafia boss just to, hey, you just come on in. 
bring your guns, maybe even a machine gun if you'd like. No, no. Just the opposite. I think it's evidence that this unawareness is a murder. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. In the same way, people, a person full of goodness in his heart produces good things. But a person with an evil reservoir. What does that mean, a reservoir? Things that are stored up. Things that have not been released, like hurt. Or maybe unresolved pain. Unforgiveness. Vendettas. Those things stored up, what happens? In our heart, pour out. Well, who do they pour out on? They pour out on your spouse, don't they? They pour out on your kids. They pour out on your family. That's why children who are abused are more likely to be abusers when they grow up. They don't have to be, but they're more likely to be. Why? Because this has been poured out. This enemy of uh, self-unawareness. The suspect, this criminal, has been allowed in. And it not only murders the present-day marriage, but sometimes it murders marriages for generations because of things that are not dealt with and things that are not worked through. So selfishness, unhealthy communication, lust, emotional negligence. I don't think that they're just suspects. I think that they're criminals. I think that the scripture gives us, in just a few verses that we looked at, more than enough evidence to know they have the firepower to take down your marriage. And not only do they have the firepower to take down your marriage, here's the reality. Can I tell you, as a pastor, this is at least one subject that you deal with that I have some authority on only because I've seen it and talked with people over and over again. And it's these things that seem so small that come in carrying weapons that murder our, our marriage and kill our romance. So the arrest and the sentencing. Now, here's really what I mean by this is it's our response to the reality that these things are criminals. How are we to respond? How, how do we learn self-defense? against these criminals well let's look when it comes to the criminal of selfishness in philippians chapter 2 it says i urge you paul talking to the church at uh, philippi i urge you then to make me completely happy by having now get don't miss this the same thoughts sharing the same love being one in soul and in mind now remember, remember with the description of selfishness? Remember what it was? Different thoughts, different careers, different recreation, different bank accounts. And so the scripture says in order to lock out or to keep this criminal of selfishness out of your heart, out of my heart, what do I have to do? We have to be one. One in our thoughts, one in our love, one in our communication, in our mind, it says, and in our soul. There is an intentionality of coming together, not pushing away. It says don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything just for yourself, just for you to get ahead, just for your career, just for your fun, just for your enjoyment, just for your, your peace. It says, but be humble. I'd circle that. 
Be humble towards one another. What is humility? It's understanding from where your strength comes. Listen, it's not because you're smarter than your spouse or you're stronger than your spouse or you've got a better education than your spouse. Our strength comes, our success, <coughs> excuse me, comes from God. And once you and I realize that, we stop putting ourselves above others. Humble towards one another, always considering others better than yourselves. And look out for one another's interest, not just your own. The attitude you have should be the one that Christ Jesus had. Look to others. What was the attitude Jesus had? Well, if you read the rest of Philippians, it says this. Although he was equal with God, Jesus was God. He considered that equality not something to be grasped, the scripture says, or taken hold of. But he made himself nothing. He surrendered his rights to divinity, his privileges to divinity to take on humanity. And the scripture says he went as far as to die the humiliating death on the cross. It wasn't that he wasn't God. It's that he didn't take those privileges as God. Same he is then asking us to do. How do you fight selfishness? You don't fight for your rights. See, there's something inside of our skin, all of us, that says, I, it's my right. <laughs> you ought to do that. You owe me. This is my right. You know, one of, some of the things that Stephanie likes for me to do it, one of the things she likes for me to do is to pick up after myself it's like if I take off my coat she wants me to pick it up or pick up my shoes I'm gonna tell you the truth I don't want to pick it up it doesn't bother me laying there to be honest I mean right I mean who's gonna see it? it's in the bedroom the, the, the other thing she likes me to do is to sweep we have a, a little uh, porch thing in the front porch thing in the back she likes me to keep it clean and I'll be honest I don't like to keep it clean I mean, no, I mean it, 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 nobody's out there. It takes energy and effort to make it clean. I mean, now she likes me to do both of those things. And, and here's, here's, here's my, my question is, does she, does she, does she, I have a right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's more her house than mine. It's our house. So why does she get to decide where my pants ought to be? Right? I mean, God didn't come down and say my pants are supposed to be in the closet. Right? I mean, I have a right to put my pants where I want. I have a right to, if the deck is, is messy, for it to be messy. I mean, I own just as much as she does. But I do pick up my pants most of the time. I do keep those decks clean most of the time. Why do I do that? Not because I have to, but because in order to keep selfishness locked out of my life, locked out of our marriage, I give up my right and consider her desires above my own. That's the only way in which to keep selfishness, that criminal that wants and has the firepower to destroy and murder your marriage, locked out. That's what he says. It's to give up your rights. Yes, you may have the right. You ought to be able to do whatever it is you want to do. Who died and made your spouse boss? You did. 
You died to yourself and you exalted the needs of your spouse so that selfishness could not murder this incredible gift that God has given to you called marriage. The world ought to look at what you and I have with our spouse and be envious of the depth of love and joy and peace and oneness that can never be experienced outside of his love. So that's how we keep this criminal of selfishness out. <coughs> what about unhealthy communication? Well, let's again look at the scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed, so that what you say will do good to those who hear you. First part of that, do not use harmful words. So what does that mean? Well, I guess it means that I need to discipline my tongue. There are times when I want to say things that are harmful. I want my anger to be expressed. Now, I need to be transforming my heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But there are times when I just have to discipline my words. I, I, I know that what I'm saying is harmful. And it's not just my words. It's sometimes my tone, isn't it? Have you ever said the right thing in the wrong way? Sometimes it's not just my tone. Sometimes it's my body language. I have to discipline those things. If I want to keep this criminal out of our marriage, unhealthy communication. And then he goes on, but he doesn't say that I'm just to keep harmful words out, but only speak only helpful words. Now, how do I therefore then know what are helpful words? It doesn't say that I'm to speak what I think is helpful, right? Sometimes we do that. <laughs> you know, we speak something that we think ought to be appreciated by our spouse, only to discover that it's not, not quite done, not quite appreciated. Well, how do we do that? Well, look what James 1.19 says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How do I know what helpful words to speak into the life of my wife, Stephanie? It's by listening to what she's really saying, to listen to where it's coming from, why she's saying it, what she's feeling. Here, here's what I've discovered. Steph is not always <clears throat> looking for an answer. She's not always looking for an answer. Now, I will tell you, as her husband, I love giving answers to her problems. It makes me feel like Superman. You know, fly down, give her the answer, a salute, and then fly away. You know, I, I love giving answers. But sometimes that's not the words that she needs. She's not looking for an answer. She's just looking for support. And so if I don't hear what she's saying, <clears throat> I can't give her, like the scripture says, helpful words. I give her words and I'm like, well, that, you ought to be thankful for the wisdom that is pouring out of my mouth at this time to solve your problems. You're so lucky that you married me. I, no, that's, that, that, that's not healthy communication. The same thing is true for Stephanie. Sometimes I'm not looking for an accurate account of the situation. I don't need to hear just how much maybe that I've screwed up or that I've made a mistake. 
Sometimes, you know what I want to hear? I just want to hear that she is committed to this relationship. That she is loyal to me even if I've made a mistake. Even if I've messed up. Even if I've blown it in this situation. And the only way she will know that is she listens and hears not just what I'm saying, but from where it's coming. And that's the only way in which you and I can keep this unhealthy communication, this criminal that wants to destroy and murder our marriages out. It's important to listen. What about lust? What kind of self-defense to keep this criminal away? First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, God wants you to be holy and completely free from sexual immorality, which covers all kinds of sexual sin. Each of you should know how to live with your wife. Don't miss these two words. In a, I want you to say them with me, holy and honorable. Say that with me, holy and honorable. Scripture says that I ought to live with my wife in a holy and honorable. When I look at her, there's this sense of holiness and honorable way, not with lustful desire. Did, did you know that one of the ways lust sneaks in to commit murder is to convince us that, well, it's, only, it's your spouse. It's okay to lust for your spouse. But remember the description of lust? Lust is the focus on what? You. That always leads to murder, not them. And so here the scripture says that when I look into my marriage, the focus is not on my fulfillment or my pleasure or what I need. My desire is on honoring and holy. So here's, here's my challenge. This is what I want you to challenge you to think about. Because when it comes to this, we spend a lot of times arguing about, well, don't look at this and don't watch this and don't read that and don't go there. I want you to think of it in a different way. We do know this, right? Whatever you feed in your life gets stronger. So when it comes to what books you're going to read, what magazines you're going to look at, what websites you're going to go to, what movies that you're going to watch, why not ask yourself this question? Is that if I read that book, is it going to feed my desire to honor my spouse? to move towards my spouse and honor them, lift them up? Or is it going to feed my desire to have something besides my spouse, something better than my spouse, something that my spouse is not providing, something that I wish my spouse were, in some way my spouse would fulfill me? I mean, whatever it is that you're about to consume, which direction, what part of you is it going to feed? Because lust is a deadly killer. And then the last one is emotional negligence. How do we defend against it? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 says, pursue peace. <clears throat> what is peace? Here's my definition of peace. Peace is a quiet spirit, not just the absence of conflict. We often think that peace means that there's no conflict, when in reality, I believe that peace is a quiet spirit, sometimes even in the midst of conflict. Because see, conflict is often <clears throat> a tool used to develop intimacy. When somebody comes to me and they say, you know, me and my spouse, we never fight. 
they're revealing something to me about themselves is that that, that that marriage, that husband and that wife have had very few in-depth conversations. You remember what the scripture says too, so that those are two, they're becoming one. And in the process of becoming one, what are they doing? As they communicate, you know what you're discovering about your spouse? Differences. Thoughts that they had that you didn't know. Things that they've experienced that you didn't know. And it is those differences that bring friction. I'm not talking about fighting. I'm not talking about screaming at one another. I'm just talking about conflict. And it is that conflict that brings what? Intimacy. Because now we have a greater depth of understanding of each other. So that when somebody says something and I'm like, oh, I knew what they were going to say. How did I know what they were going to say? Because there's an intimacy there. There's a, a, a oneness in that process. I think that that's one of the reasons God says, hey, stay sexually pure until you get married. Because when you're dating someone and something comes up and here are the two choices. We can sit here for the next three hours and we can work through this conflict and we can work through this tension or we can get naked. And which one are you going to choose? Nine out of ten times you're going to choose sex. Missing out on the opportunity to discover some things about one another that would have been incredibly helpful before you said, I do. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Watch carefully that no well of bitterness. That's interesting terminology. No well of bitterness does what? Springs up to trouble. Because whatever you and I bury Remember this criminal, it's an unawareness, an unwillingness to deal with what's really in you. And when you don't, it, it comes out. Now, the ladies' event we had a few weeks ago, that was pretty incredible if you were here. I hope you didn't miss that. I mean, the place was filled. All of our campuses, our, our Bahamas, um, our Lima campus just had theirs last week and had an amazing event. But the thing to me that was most interesting was Stephanie shared her New Year's resolution. And uh, in case you weren't here, let me tell you what it was, is her New Year's resolution was that she would no longer ever <clears throat> help me drive from the passenger seat. <laughs> All right? That, that, that was her New Year's resolution. <clears throat> now, she violated that this morning on the way to church, but <clears throat> she said to hold her accountable, she's sitting right over here, okay? So feel free to visit with her after the service. But... When she said that, it got me to thinking. And, and, and as I began to become more self-aware, as I began to look into the mirror, I began to realize something. That one of the reasons, I don't know that all the time, but that one of the reasons that that bothers me is because when, when the things that I'm leading in, I, when I don't feel successful in those things, when the things that I'm trying to do don't seem to be going in the right direction. As a pastor, if I, I don't feel that I'm impacting reaching people or that the, the church is, is impacting the culture or that we're struggling um, to challenge people to, to, to participate in some way or whatever it is. If I don't feel successful in, that, in those areas and I'm dealing with that um, uh, or not dealing with that, it's just there, you know, I'm just kind of moving on. And then when Steph says something about my driving, it's, I, I, I think for me, it's kind of like, oh, I can't even do that right, huh? Right? And so my response to all this stuff that has nothing to do with her 
is based on that. And, and, and I think when you don't deal with whatever, all I'm saying is you've got to know you. And if you don't know you, all of that stuff you hide in you is going to come out. And more times than not, it's going to come out in your relationships. And many times it's like a gun. And it murders it. And it dies. So how do we, what does he say? He says, don't let that happen. You be, there needs to be an awareness. So, you have selfishness, unhealthy communication, lust, and emotional negligence. They really don't look like an intimidating bunch, do they? But this gang of criminals is guilty of so many murders down through the decades. Last thing is, how do you deal with it? I mean, how do you lock your doors? How do you keep these criminals out of your home? This is what I wrote in my journal. I think there are two things you have to do. Is that you have to be faithful to God's house and to the commitments you make to him. Faithful to God's house and faithful to the commitments you make to him. Now let me explain that. What are we going to do here at Potential Church for the next 52 weeks, on the weekend, in our small groups, in uh, ministries that we do here and out in the community? What are we going to do? We're going to do what we've done. We're going to look into God's Word. We're going to learn how to be more successful in our marriages, in our finances, in our businesses. We're going to understand and learn and be reminded and be challenged, be encouraged, be kicked in the rear about the way in which God said He came so that we can have abundant life. That's what we're going to do. So when you're not faithful... And your commitment to experience what God created to help you. The church was created by God to help you succeed in what he paid for at the cross. So when you determine that you don't need that and you only, you know, are here occasionally, we're going to do our best to encourage you. We will try to inspire you. But you will not get the tools you need to be transformed to be changed. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if for the next 52 weeks you were to make a commitment to say, I'm going to engage. I'm going to be faithful to be in his house. I'm going to find me a group of people to walk through some kind of study with. I'm going to even get involved in ministry, not because they need me to serve or they need my gifts, but because I need to be around some people to encourage me and to challenge me. If you did that for the next 52 weeks, and I'm not saying perfectly, but if you made that commitment, I, I, listen, I guarantee, I see it all the time, your life would radically be different in a year from now. Some of the things that you're, many of the things, if not all the things you're worried about today, you wouldn't be worried about in a year from now. <clears throat> the struggles you have right now would not be the same struggles a year from now. Your life, your marriage, your parenting, your finances would be radically different. I see it all the time. Or... You can do what you've done up to this point and hope that God will zap you with some knowledge, that he will zap you when you're here and that he'll zap your boss and make your boss give you a raise, that he'll zap your spouse and make your spouse better, that he'll zap your kids. I've seen it in my life. Steph and I have every reason to have a difficult marriage. When we got married, we got married young, 
I was 22, she was 20. <clears throat> we had student loans. I had gotten hurt playing basketball. Um, and then we had all these medical bills. I've had, you know, because of athletics, I've had um, surgery on my neck. I've had surgery on my back. I've broken my nose twice playing basketball. I've had encephalitis. I've had stents put into my heart. I mean, all these medical bills and right money is one of those things that marriages struggle with. We've got every reason in the world. When we moved here, we moved here after investing everything we had in starting a church in Arkansas, so we didn't have anything. We came here and we moved into a, a trailer, nothing wrong with the trailer, but it wasn't like the house that we lived in. Bailey had just been born. Stephanie had to go back to work. Small trailer that squeaked when you walked. My mom had to move in with us because uh, she was going through difficulty, so she's sharing a room. I mean, everything that was going on could have easily screwed up our marriage. But I am here to tell you that my marriage is the best part of my life. My marriage is not perfect, but I enjoy it. I enjoy my marriage. I, I, I mean, and, and, and listen, I am proud of my kids. They're not perfect. I am proud of the decisions they've made. I'm proud of the accomplishments that they have had. Now, why do you think I have such a good marriage? Is it because I'm more spiritual than you? Is it because I'm smarter than you? No. The reason I have the marriage that I have, the reason that we've been able to raise the kids that we have is only because we have been faithful to his house and been faithful to do what God has shown us to do when we're here. When God reveals something in his word, we're going to listen. When we moved here and we were going through all of that financial stuff, and we were struggling in that. And they were over here, and the pastor stood up one day, and he said, we're going to build this building right here. And Steph and I, in addition to our ties that we were doing, we said, we're going to give beyond that. We did that. I'm proud of that. Because I can tell you, God has blessed that. I heard a story this week. I want you to hear my heart on this, because I am tired. I've been here for 17 years, and some of you have had very little change in your life. Because you're not here. You're not faithful to his house. You're not faithful to what he reveals to you until your marriage falls apart, until you lose your job, until you go through a difficulty. And I want you to hear my heart. You do not have to experience that kind of pain because he did on the cross for you. That's what he did. This, this week, um, one of the pastors was, was telling me that um, 15 years ago, there was a gentleman, a family, that decided they were going to come to potential for whatever reason, and God began to work in their life, and they chose to be committed to his house and faithful to what he showed them to do. He had a toolbox, but he didn't have a car. He is just coming off of making some very bad decisions about his life when it came to addiction. He hadn't been here very long at all. But because of his faith, you know what God did? God gave him a car. God gave him a car. Now, do you think God gave him a car because God loves him more than you? 
Because I know anytime you share a story like this, some of us sit down and say, well, my life would be too different too if God gave me a car. You really think God loves him more than you? No, no, no. Here's the difference. Faithful to his house and faithful to what God showed him when he was there. It's been 15 years. And here's what he told our pastor is that in this last year, he now has, because when he got the car, he was able to take his toolbox and start, you know, as a handyman, helping people using his skills. Well, last year, he's got 20 people that are employed by him and his business brought in seven figures. Now it took 15 years, yeah. <clears throat> Don't you want that to be your story? Something to that effect, that you lived your life, you accomplished your dream, you, you lived out your purpose. My understanding of scripture is that it's possible, but you have to make those decisions. In the month of January, what better time to say, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna find a group of people. I may be uncomfortable. Listen, can I tell you something? I've never liked small group. I'm, I'm shy, but I've been a part of them all of my life. Why? Because those folks can inspire me. They can teach me. They can challenge me. Are you willing to take that risk? I'm going to find, I'm going to find a group of people. And I'm going to get involved here. I don't mind, I mean, you may only have a time to serve once a month, once every other month. I don't know. It's not about what we need here at Potential Church. It's about the opportunity for your life to be transformed. For your life to make the world envious of the peace and the joy that you have. So what if you were to do that? What if you were to decide you're going to be faithful in your finances and quit having to worry about whether or not you pay your bills? Getting frustrated that God's blessed somebody else financially, but you're still... I mean, what if that could be gone? What if you didn't have to pass down to your kids financial stress, financial weight, financial worry, financial indecision? Again, my understanding of the scripture is that God says he'll take care of that part. Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things, he says, will be added unto you. I'm not saying he'll make you rich. I'm just saying you can go to bed at night. You don't have to worry about whether or not the power is going to be turned on tomorrow or whether or not your kids are going to be able to go to college or whether or not you're going to be able to live your dream or your death. What if you were to do that? Ultimately, we all have to choose, don't we? We have to decide what we believe and whether or not we're going to lock our doors and keep these criminals out or we're going to unlock the doors and hope for the best. Hope that somehow we're the exception to the rule. That somehow these criminals won't affect our home the way they have affected so many others. Would you bow your head? Father, I, I thank you for these folks. I pray they hear my heart. Such a hard world. There's so many things to be afraid of. There's so many things that are bigger than us as individuals or bigger than us, even than our business or our organizations. But none of it's bigger than you. Help us to put our faith and our trust in you. Help us to experience the promises that your words are filled with. 
help our relationships to thrive, not die. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. Well,